You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. So we just sang about uh, being made clean, how that actually happens and uh, clearly and like as we're singing we're talking about how that's 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 possible made possible by by Jesus but specifically um, how that transpires how that carries weight for you I'm, I'm praying this morning that that um, if you're if you're a believer already that that's like that whole idea of being made clean is renewed in your mind. Um, if you're new to Christianity, if you're just trying to check this out and trying to figure out where you are on that, I'm hoping we can bring a little bit of clarity to what that actually looks like. Because when you're new to this and you haven't like got all this stuff sorted out, sometimes some of the some of the language around Christianity gets a little bit foggy. Um, and so I'm hoping we can get a little bit of clarity about what exactly that means uh, for you and for me. So we're going to be in Luke chapter five, beginning in verse twelve this morning, and we're going to do things a little bit differently uh, this this morning as we kind of look through this text. We're going to approach it in a little bit different. Uh, Kind of, kind of a way, because I'm, I'm hoping that we can understand this passage better, but also I'm, I'm hoping we can pull a little bit harder on how we spend time with the Word of God in general. Okay, so one of the things that we like to do as a church is um, we, we, we pray for opportunities to get to spend time just reading through God's Word with people who haven't yet figured out Jesus yet. And so one of the things that we get to do is, 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 is this beautiful thing is just getting to sit down with somebody who said, I'm, 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 I've got questions, I'm trying to figure out where I stand with Jesus, I'm open to having that conversation. And so getting to do that with, with a Bible open, so we're going to spend time with the Word, and, and then you get to ask questions of how that goes. It's, in, it's incredibly helpful for people, as, at least as far as, as I've found. And so getting to just read the Bible one-on-one with somebody, it just... It changes things. Instead of having a conversation about some like my thoughts or something and my explanations, we're just actually talking about the word and they're asking questions of a text, and that's that works a lot better. And so um, I was doing that this past uh, semester with somebody, and we began to began to be, be you know jumping into this. And so the first week, I'm like, okay, I want you to go like just get familiar with the first chapter of the book of Luke. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna read it out loud together. And uh, you, can, you can ask questions. So I, a week passed. I'm all excited. I'm ready to go. And so meeting happens. We're over there at Monarch. We sit down. We get the Bibles up. I'm like, all right, so did you, did you read Luke chapter 1? Like, oh, I read like the like, first eight chapters of Luke. I'm like, well, okay, that was, that was extra. Um, that, was more than, that was more than one. Eight is more than one. Uh, like, okay, how'd, how'd it go? It's like, just fell sound like a story. I was like, ah. Oh. Because that's, that, that's not what it is. It's not just a, a story. I was like, okay, so you just read it like a novel. Read it like a novel. It's a weird novel. Uh, didn't get it. Like, did you find anything in there that was impactful for you? Nope, sure didn't. So, okay, well, let's do this. Let's just take this thing paragraph by paragraph, slow and consistent, and that's like, let's ask some better questions. All right, so when you read a novel, what's the, what's the primary question that you're, you're trying to ask? When you're just reading a story, reading a story to your kids or whatever, like, what you're primarily asking is, what happened? Is that, a, is that all you want to know? Like when we come to the text, we come to the word of God, like is what happened all you want to know? No. And so we've got to figure out how to ask some better questions. Last week I came in uh, to do setup for Oaks, had a brace on my wrist. Instant question. What happened? Asked it so many times in the first like five minutes I was here that I don't have that brace anymore. I don't even know where it is. The brace is gone. Okay. I had this brace on and people were like, what happened? 
Well, I think I'm 18 still and did a front flip off a mountain bike on a thing called Blood Rock, which is awesome. Left some blood on it, and uh, now my hand doesn't work, and it's great. But, you know, I've got some shots. I'm good. Just more shots in your life, and you'll be all right. And so, um, but that, you press in a little bit, and there's a better question behind that. Like, why'd you do that? <laughs> That's a better question than what happened. You want to know what happened? The follow-up question is, why uh, would you do that? And I don't have as good of an answer for that question, right? And so when we, we come to the text, come to the Word of God, those are the kind of questions that we want to be asking. We want to press in a little bit more and ask better questions than what happened. We read this passage this morning. It's going to be a quick what happened. Jesus does something incredible. Somebody's really excited about it. But there's so much more that's buried in that if we can start to ask some better questions. Here's where that matters for me and you. Do you want to just know what Jesus did? Or do you want to know Jesus? That's what it comes down to. Do you, do you want to have clarity about what, what he did, like what the actions are, like get the story straight, or do you want to know him personally? If you want to know him, you've got to ask some better questions. So this morning, our question, this is what I'm going to try to ask, what help us get used to asking, is this, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? All right? So as we go through this, as, as we're going to keep asking this, what is this passage telling about Jesus? Like, so tomorrow when you get up in the morning, I'm, I'm praying that you open your Bible. You, if you're in one of the Gospels, just, what, is this question, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? What's he like? What's he concerned with? What did he do? But why did he do that? And see how that changes things. All right, so the passage, we're jumping in. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, it says this. Uh, it says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man uh, full of leprosy. So a guy comes up to him who says it's, it's full of leprosy. All right, let's stop there for a second. So if, you, uh, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, then you know that there's, a, there's an Old Testament that's got a lot of law in it. And so the law that's about this leprosy thing, leprosy was this contagious uh, skin disease. There's a lot of law written about this in Leviticus chapter 13 and Leviticus chapter 14. We're not going to read all that. Um, you can read that on your own time. It's weird, all right? It's got, a lot of, it's got a lot of rules in there. It's basically how to handle a highly contagious skin disease with no cure. And so the only real like, response to that that they had was essentially just quarantine. This was an awful disease. Like, there's some, there's some versions of it that were theoretically curable, but most of it wasn't. And it was going to progress. It was going to get worse. It was going to be dreadful. It was going to be this awful, disfiguring, and eventually fatal disease. And it was contagious, and they couldn't do anything about this. And so people that were, that were, that were, that were afflicted with this, essentially the law says, like, you just got to, they have to be outside the camp, or they're going to infect everyone. Everyone's going to go down with them. So basically what happens, they, ha- they, need to go spend, they need to go spend the rest of their life until somehow they are healed or the end of their life away from everyone else. It's a greater good thing. The only defense against was quarantine. So basically, you just have to stay away from everybody. You have to hope for the best, but it's probably going to end up killing you. They were, forbidden, they were forbidden to approach other people. They weren't allowed to come near other people. They weren't allowed to be in the city. They, if they came near somebody, they had to cover their mouth and, and cry out, like, I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Stay back. How would you feel if you had to do that? Every time you got in proximity with somebody, you're, you're telling them, I am dangerous to you. You need to stay away from me. And if you didn't, there was, it was punishable by death. It was a shameful and miserable and isolating and hopeless thing, disease, with no real cure. That's rough. And so this guy comes up and it says that he's full of leprosy. Like it has progressed to that point. There is no hope. Like he's not going to make it out of this. He's, this is not going to be taken care of. He's definitely not supposed to be in a city. 
So he says, like, he's this, Jesus is inside one of the cities, and this guy approaches him. He's not supposed to be in a city. He's definitely not supposed to be approaching anybody. If he did, people would have literally run from him normally, right? But verse 12 continues, says this, says that when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face before him. And he begged him. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So somehow this guy's heard about Jesus. He's heard, heard the, what Jesus is doing, heard about his authority. And so he, he draws near to Jesus, risking basically execution. He's risking it all to come and be near Jesus. It's hard for us to identify with this guy. Honestly, when you read this, I, I think for a lot of us, when we first read this, we're like, that's awful for him. And I understand why he would want to draw near to Jesus. I understand the, the hopelessness and the riskiness in him to draw near to Jesus. It's hard for me and you to identify with that sometimes. But like we just sang, we have our own stuff. We're, we're unclean before him too, just like this guy. Honestly, our, our state's not that far off. We have something that's hopeless. We have something that we can't cure. We have something that is going to continue to progress and get worse until ultimately we meet our end. And unless something else intervenes, we ain't going to do anything about it. Our disease is just called sin. This guy has this external thing. We have this internal thing. We all may like look nice and pretty and fine on the outside or, or whatever. Like inside, every single one of us, we know the depth of our own sin. Sin that clings to us. It shames us. It isolates us. This guy comes near to Jesus. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. That if right there. He's not questioning Jesus' ability. You see that? He's questioning Jesus' willingness. Is Jesus willing to do something for somebody in this type of state, in this, uh, like this level of messiness? Is, is, is Jesus willing to step in to something like that? The shame, the shame for leprosy would run deep. It was a dirty, awful, shameful thing. Listen, if you're not a Christian yet, and you come into contact with Christians, um, but more specifically, you come into contact with Christianity, like this person of Jesus. If, if that's you, does, do you ever wonder, like, if your sin is too big? Like, do you ever, have you ever even if you're a Christian, has the, has the thought ever risen up in your mind is like, I really don't know if, 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 if God's grace is going to extend to that. Like, if, if these people that I come in this room with on Sundays, like, if they really knew the stuff I was involved in this past week, I really don't know if they would want to sit with me. I don't know if the, if the good morning would have been quite so warm if they really knew everything that I was involved in the past week. Do you ever wonder about that? When you, hit, when you hit some bottoms, when you hit some low points, that shameful stuff that nobody else knows about, do you, do you wonder, is, is God's grace even extended to people like that, to people like you? I think we all do. I think, uh, I think at some point we wonder if we're going to get to a point that the, the disease of sin in our hearts is going to grow to the point where God's going to say, look, enough's enough. So let's see what this next verse tells us about Jesus. The guy comes up to him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. Verse 13, this is what happens. Jesus is standing there. A guy approaches him who's not allowed to approach him, falls at his feet, says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, Jesus kneels down. He says he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. It says immediately the leprosy left him. I know that that says what happened. Like that's what happened. That's just the, the, the narrative. Like this is what happened. Jesus knelt down, touched this guy, says, I will be clean. And immediately the, le the leprosy left him. But what does that tell you about what Jesus is like? Like, think about it, like everything that's like, contained in those few words right there. Like, what does that tell you about what Jesus is like? First, like, he reached out and touched the guy. 
This is a contagious like skin disease thing. Like he reaches out and, and physically, this guy probably hasn't been touched in years, reaches out and, and touches him. First thing that tells me about Jesus is D- Jesus is not deterred by unclean people. Jesus isn't, isn't uh, upset or confused or, or backing away from people who are a mess. That's not who he is. Jesus isn't repelled by like this man's worst. He didn't have to come and touch him. You think Jesus had to touch him? You think Jesus could have healed him with just with a word from a distance, kept his people a little bit safer? Why did he touch him? What did that signal? What does that say about Jesus' character and his nature? That he he didn't he wasn't willing, he didn't want to just heal him from a distance. He wanted to draw near and not just get in his like get down there with him. He wanted to like reach out and actually touch him. Put a hand on his shoulder. What's that say about him? What's that say about him relating to you? Second thing I think it tells me about Jesus is that he engages with the outcast. Jesus was not a self-important man. He wasn't too great to be around. You know, sometimes you meet people that are like too important to be near you. You know those people? Actually, you didn't meet them because you're not important, so you didn't get to meet them, right? Like that's, like Tristan earlier told me he got to go in Saban's office. I'm like, cool, did you meet him? He's like, no, you, you are not important enough, right? You're not. I'm not either, bro. It's cool. We're in it together. Like, Jesus is not self-important. He's just not. He's not too great to hang out with you, even though there's some other people who definitely are too important for you. I love that. I love that Jesus engages even with the outcasts. So that's great news for me and you, right? Because we are not, the, we're not the, the perfect people. We don't have our stuff all together. We're pretty lowly. It's kind of a mess. If you got to peek under the hood. Jesus comes, draws near. He's not deterred by unclean people. He engages with the outcast. Listen, for those of us that are following him, there's an appreciation of that. Like if you're a Christian in the room, there's a, there's a deep appreciation of that fact, that Jesus loves you enough, that he's not distant from you, that your sin isn't going to outgrow his grace. Like there's a deep appreciation for that. But it can't stop at appreciation because if we're followers of Jesus, we actually have to live like that. We have to follow him in it, not keeping our distance, not keeping our hands clean. Listen, I, um, I grew up in Tuscaloosa. This is my hometown. I was gone for a long time. I'm back. It's great. All right? So I was a kid that grew up in Tuscaloosa. When you're a kid, uh, just anybody else grew up in Tuscaloosa? Cool. All right. So like the seven of us. All right. This is what it's like to grow up in Tuscaloosa. In preschool, you do not color orange next to the color blue. If those colors touch, you're kicked out of school. You can't come back to preschool anymore. Like, it's just not a thing. Nobody will be friends with you. Like, they don't like you anymore. You, you can't do it. If you do, even by accident, like, you're legit getting messed with. It's not okay, you know? And I'm colorblind. Now, here's the problem. Being colorblind, you don't know what's blue and what's orange. I don't know if it's purple. I don't know if it's red. I got to read the things. When I'm in preschool. I can't read it because it's preschool, right? Um, and so, like, I would, I would literally ask my little tiny four-year-old friends. I'm like, is this orange? They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, is that blue? They're like, be careful. <laughs> you know? It was like, it's, I'm not kidding. Like, I, I didn't meet an Auburn fan until like I got out of seminary. I was like 25 before I found one, you know? I got to Texas. There's a bunch of Texas fans out there. Well, that's whatever. But I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't friends with an Auburn fan until I moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And I was like, is it okay if I talk to these people? Like, can I still go home on Mother's Day and Christmas and stuff? Like, if, if, if can we still be friends? And we were, and it was fine. There's some of them are decent people. It's okay. Like, it's, 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 especially Danny. He's my favorite, right? So, wears his Auburn shirt to Oaks all the time, and he's like, I'm here for it. Let's go. You know, just obstinate. I love it. Good, good for him, right? But that, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? 
It does. It sounds stupid like to like worry about interacting with somebody who cheers for a different football team as a little kid. Like that 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 sounds dumb. Before we start thinking too, you know, harshly about that, like all of us have people, whether consciously or unconsciously, like in your world that you you naturally kind of want to keep some distance from. Are there people like this, maybe you don't like this, that about yourself, but are there people that you find yourself trying to keep some distance from? People that make you uncomfortable a little bit. People that make you, whatever. I mean, it's I got a sign of the road, like asking for money or whatever. Like what, what is, what is are, there, are there people that you naturally, you feel yourself wanting to back away from? Maybe it's messy people. Maybe it's difficult people. Maybe it's the people that draw too much of your time and your energy and you just find yourself backing away, right? I don't know what it is. Probably somebody different for all of us. But Jesus, and if Jesus in full knowledge of your sin and your mess and your complexity is willing to draw near to you, then what does that say about how I've got to treat other people around me? So we can't just be people who are appreciative and excited about the fact that, 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 that God's grace extends to even people like us, but we've also got to be people who are drawing near to broken, messy, hurting people. Not just from a distance, not just in word only, but actually getting, getting in there with like actually touching people, being a part of us, sitting down and having a conversation. Jesus did not stay huddled up with the disciples. He didn't get a group of people around him that he felt really comfortable with and they were tight and they could travel together and they were good friends and just stay with them. He's on his knees with his leper, like physically touching him, engaging in conversation with him. We can't be a people who stay huddled up together. This guy says, if you will, I know you can make me clean. Jesus responds with, I will. Again, the guy was not questioning Jesus' ability. He was questioning his willingness, and he responds with, I will. What does that tell you about Jesus? It tells you his will is for good. Like, it is God's will to, like, do good for, like, his, for us. Like, his, his will is for good. It's not for harm. His will is for good for this guy in the story. It's, his will is for good for those in our city who are stuck in cultural Christianity and know some facts about the gospel but don't know Jesus his will is for good for those who come on this campus with no concept of the gospel whatsoever. His will is for good for me, for you. His will isn't to condemn or crush. He doesn't come at this guy and be like, no, no, you, you, can't, you can't be here. You're breaking all the rules. You can't be in the city. You're not supposed to draw near to us. Go follow the rules and get back outside the city. That's not his will. His will isn't to induce rule following. His will is for good, to engage. That fact enables us to believe stuff like Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. It says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If his will is for good, that passage is believable. But I meet a lot of people who don't believe that his will is for good. They, a lot of us believe like his will is to secretly get you once you stumble. And you can't be trusted to, to, to you can't be trusted with your, his struggles. Like you're supposed to handle your own so that you don't fall. I feel a lot of people that there's there's something creeping around in the back of our hearts and the back of our minds, wondering if if we're going to slip up enough that he's going to come and get us. That's not what his will is. Jesus says, "Yeah, this is, it is my will to help, to step in, to provide healing, to make clean." So Jesus responds, and then he acts. He says, "Be clean." And it says immediately the leprosy left him. All right, what's that tell you about Jesus? One, it tells me that he alone can make people clean. Could anybody else have done anything about this? 
Could this man, by his own effort, have done something about this, this state that he'd found himself in? No. That seems obvious, right? Like, who else could have done this? Like, it's physically is happening right here, but spiritually it's more important. Like, no one's got to convince me of my sinfulness. Like, if we just had to get had a moment where me and you were just going to talk, and I'm like, hey, listen, why don't you walk me through the stuff that you're struggling most with? Like, tell me about the sin in your life. Like, walk me through it. You're immediately, your reaction is going to be like, no, we're not talking about that. That happened to me one day. I was in college. I met with this pastor across town. I never met this dude before. It was our first conversation. He was supposed to be helping with an independent study type thing. Sits down at this coffee shop, and the first thing he says past the pleasantries is like, okay, why don't you tell me what your biggest sin thing is other than lust? And I was like, we're not friends. Mm -mm. <laughs> this is not good. I never met with that guy again. I have no idea who he was. I just struck him for my life. We're done, all right? Like, this is not going to happen. Like, yeah, well, but you know, don't you? You know your stuff. Who can do something about that stuff? Who can deal with that sin? The stuff you don't want anybody else in the room to know about. Who can deal with that? Because you can't deal with it. You've probably tried and you haven't. You're going to overcome that now? Like you're going to bow up and get strong enough somehow, find some, some inner strength? You're going to be your like, own savior? You're going to find it in yourself? No, you're not. Jesus alone can make people clean. Jesus alone can do something about all that. Listen, we all have figured out, our world has figured out, our culture's figured out, that we, we can't do enough good things to make up for the evil inside of us. That's what you see played out in culture a lot. You have people who have these sterling reputations and have done all these incredible things for the world or whatever, but that one thing comes out and they're gone, right? What does that tell you about culture? What, what culture is, is understanding and trying to communicate is that um, there is a bar of holiness that the, that the world expects you to hit. Now, Everybody knows good and well that all their stuff, as long as it's hidden in secret, they're okay. But once, like, it doesn't matter what you've done or how great of a life you've lived, if you hit one of these sins, you're wiped out. You're done. Your voice doesn't matter anymore. You can't be a part of me. Like, your job is over if you engage in some of this sin. Culture's trying to hold people to a standard of holiness that they can't attain themselves. But still, there's that, there's that idea there. Who can do something about that? Jesus steps in and he says, I will be clean. Christian, he made you clean. If you're not a Christian in the room yet, he can make you clean. It also tells me something else. It tells me that Jesus did what the law never could. Remember the whole Leviticus 13 and 14 thing? All Leviticus 13 and 14 does is describe how to tell if someone is clean or not, whether they have leprosy or not, and what to do with them if they do. It's just a litmus test. That's all it is. It, because the law can't make somebody clean. There's nothing in the law that's like, hey, this is what you need to do. All right? If you're struggling with this, this is how you fix it. The law can't fix it. The law just tells you that you're a mess. It's like, okay, if you've got this going on, yeah, you need to get out. Now, that's how it works. That's how rules work. You following rules is not going to fix your thing. It's not. You trying to bow up and trying to like, okay, I'm just going gonna, gonna, uh, like, gonna, I'm gonna to live this moral life. I'm going to handle it on my own. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be strong enough to do it. It's just not going to work. Rules can't. Rules can't make you clean. Rules can just tell you whether you're following rules or not. Jesus steps up and does something the, the law can't do. Not do. He, he makes someone clean, declares it to be so, and it is. Salvation isn't found in living a right moral life. All of us have a disease. All of us have this disease called sin, and rules can't fix diseases. Jesus does what the law never could. Jesus steps in, and he makes people clean. Has he made you clean? 
I talk to a lot of people that are in this cultural Christianity mindset who know a lot of facts about the gospel but haven't been made clean. They can tell me the story of the, like Jesus' birth and death and resurrection. They can tell me a lot of stuff about the Bible. They may even know some Bible verses that you got taught when you were seven years old or something. Like they know lots of content about what happened, but have they been clean? To be made clean by Jesus. Like it's a different thing than knowing the story. It's a different thing than knowing a bunch of facts and having the pieces all put together in a correct order. But like, do you know him? Has he, have you drawn near to him? Have you gotten on your knees before him and said, like, I, if you will, I know you can make me clean and allowed him to do a work in you to change you? That's what faith in Jesus is. It's not a mental agreement with some rules. It's not trying harder so that God doesn't get you. It's coming before him and saying, if you will, you'll make me clean. And he says, I will be clean. I can't imagine the joy in this moment for this guy. Like, hadn't been touched in years, then the leprosy, like, start. I don't know how that worked. I don't know, like, if in a moment Jesus says, I will be clean, and his skin starts to, like, pull back together. I don't know how that happened. But in this, in a matter of moments, this guy is renewed. I don't know how the, I don't know what that would be like. But the moment... It comes and goes, and then, and then Jesus, strange, Jesus asks him for a favor, but it's a weird one. In verse 14, he says this. It says that he charged him to tell no one, but he said, go and show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. He's like, go do the law stuff. Like, go, because they can tell, you know, like, that's what all law does, right? So go do that so you can be back in the city. But he said, literally, don't, don't tell anybody. Why? Why would, Jesus, why would Jesus say, to, say that? Why, why would Jesus tell this guy not to tell anybody? Why, why wouldn't you tell what Jesus did, right? Why not tell everybody? Like, we need to get this on video, and like, this, this guy would be a great marketing piece. You know, like, We can record his story and put it on Facebook, and like, everybody would see it. It would be really impactful. Like, why would you not do that? What that tells me is that Jesus isn't interested in drawing a huge crowd of watchers. Jesus isn't interested in drawing a huge crowd of watchers. Once, pretty soon after this, the crowds do start following him. He's not enamored with him. What you see over and over again is Jesus almost trying to hide the truth from the crowd a little bit to see who would draw near, who would, who would actually get, get in there with him, right? Like he's not, that's not what he's, his goal is. Jesus wants something much more for these people and also for you. He wants something much more for you than just passive observation, for a long time, my life in, in, in the church, my life in, in Christ, I would, would be a part of uh, gatherings like this or other types of gatherings or groups and stuff, and I would come, and I, would, I thought what was expected of me, what was asked of me was to come and be at a thing, right? And I would come, and I would, I would observe, and I would be engaged, and I would, I would participate in the thing, and, and I was a part of different versions of crowds. I wasn't spending a lot of time with him. I wasn't with him very much on my own, but I, I, would, I would like to be in, in the gatherings. And then I get in like really big gatherings, like, like the like Passion Conference or whatever. There's like 50,000 people, and we're like, I'm a part of this thing, man. And there is something like really good and encouraging and profound about that. But if all I'm doing is passively engaging in a crowd, then I don't know that Jesus is that interested in that. I think he's invited us into something more, far more profound. I think he's invited me and you to follow him personally, to be engaged in the mission, not watching some other people follow him, not watching some people that get to be on stage because they have a different skill set or something, and like you get, you, you're, you're supposed to watch. That's not what church is supposed to be. That's not what the family of God is supposed to be. What that means for you is 
profound. Like you're, you're invited to engage in the mission, not to watch something. What it means for our church is huge. Like what it means for our church is that our vision, our, our goal as a church is not to draw the biggest crowd possible. That's not what we're trying to do. There are ways to draw giant crowds of people and pack them into a room. It's not what we're after. Our vision is to be a growing community of followers working together in the mission together. Our goal is to see kids and teenagers and college students and adults like coming to Christ and like being baptized, being discipled, and becoming disciple makers. That's all we're trying to do together. I can't wait for the first time we get to see some like men and women in their 40s and 50s baptized. Like I'm praying for that. I can't wait for that to see like like our city. Like, we just prayed for our city. I can't wait for our see our city begin to be reached and be discipled and become disciple makers through a group of people just trying to engage in the mission, not be passive observers of it. The vision for us is to see and feel and be a part of revival gripping our city, but not just revival, a movement. The movement that Jesus set up in the first place of just sending disciples to make disciples. I want to see adults in our neighborhoods and our coworkers and our spouses investing in the next generation and raising up people who are going to change the way their grandkids live their lives because somebody finally sat down with them and helped them learn how to spend time in the Word. Somebody finally sat down with them and opened the Bible like helped them figure out what prayer looks like and what obedience looks like and what faithfulness to the Lord looks like, not because they were a part of a gathering for a couple of years. The vision is not to draw a crowd. It's to see a disciple-making movement, like root down in Tuscaloosa that impacts the world. That's what we're trying to be. That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to draw a crowd. Jesus wasn't really interested in drawing a crowd. He was interested in drawing people, people together who would engage in a mission that would ultimately change the world. That vision hasn't changed. That mission hasn't changed. You're invited to be an active participant in the mission of the Great Commission, like to make the name of Jesus known in the nations. That begins here. And churches like ours, all over the nation, all over the world, doing this work of raising up disciple makers, not drawing crowds. Verse 15, though, says that even now, the crowds show up. says even now, now even more, the report about him went abroad. Great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. Like, I can't keep quiet, and who can blame him, right? Like, the, the crowds come anyway. And we'll, we'll talk about crowds later and see Jesus' compassion on the crowds later in Luke. But verse 16 says this, says that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. When the crowds finally did start showing up, you see Jesus start leaving. Uh, the crowds start showing up, you see Jesus going and getting along with the Father. He's not enamored with the crowd. He's not excited about the people packing in that are wanting to watch, wanting to see the tricks, Right? gets alone with the Father. What's that tell you about Jesus? It tells me that he had to have time alone with the Father. In order to do what he was called to do, in order to be strengthened to do what was set before him, that he had to have time alone with the Father. Listen, if Jesus had to have time with the Father, so do you, right? There's got to be, if, if Jesus had to have time with the Father, so do you. If it was essential for him in order to do what he was called to do, how much more essential is it for every single one of us? He was never too busy. Never, never had too much going on to slip away and be alone with the Father. Listen, for you to be somebody who's pouring into other people, making an impact in somebody else, you gotta know Jesus well. Like, you gotta smell like Jesus. Shepherds smell like sheep, right? So, like, if you wanna be impacted, like, you gotta be around him, right? And if you're not spending time alone with the Father, like, it's not gonna happen. So, be with the Father. Don't be about the work more than you are about, like, I think sometimes in a church plant setting, I worry that we can get so, so, uh, 
so like spun up about the work that we have to do and the magnitude, the scale of what's set before us. And it is huge. It's crazy. I get it. That we can, we can get, same thing happens with us at work. We can get drawn over into the task and we can forget about the Father. We can work really hard and strive and see all of our productivity and see all of our impact for the kingdom. We can measure our successes by how much we accomplish for the kingdom instead of how much we spent time with the Father. We're not going to be a church. I'm not going to be a pastor. You're not going to be a follower of Jesus who has an impact in the kingdom apart from him. Maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning. That's your primary role. The thing that your source of strength is going to be found in him. Our passage is, uh, draws to a close with Jesus um, setting this man free. Crowds showing up and Jesus slipping away. And it tells us a lot about his character, a lot about his nature. That he doesn't disengage from the outcast. He's not, uh, not going to be overwhelmed and discouraged and, and separate from you because of your sin. It also tells, tells us that he's not, he's not interested in you being a part of um, watching something. He's invited you into the mission. And it means that we've, we've gonna, if we're going to see any impact in our city, if we're going to see any impacts in our families and our coworkers, we've got to be people just fixated on the Father. So I don't know where that response time is for you, but our band's coming, and I just want to give you a moment to think about that. Like, where in there is God saying, this is, this is where you need to step up? Maybe there's some people in your life that you can feel that resistance, and you've felt yourself kind of pulling back away from some of these people. And I know in some cases you've got to do that, but are there some people that you need to draw near to despite how, how that feels in your gut? Is there something in you that feels like you're pulling away from Pulling away from people in a different way. Like, maybe we need to press in. Maybe there's been some sin in your life that's just, that's discouraging and shameful, and you don't want anybody else to know about that. You haven't talked to the Father about that. You haven't really confessed that yet. Maybe you just need to spend some time talking about some sin in your life. Maybe this, this idea of like, hey, I'm not, I'm not meant to be somewhere and just watch. I'm not meant to come to a gathering. I'm meant to do something for the kingdom. Like maybe that's significant. Maybe it's time to step up and say, hey, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to give me something to do. Like I want to carry some weight. Let's go. I don't know what your point of response is, but this is the time for you to think through that and pray through that. Um, our prayer team is going to be back in the back. They'd love to pray with you. Danny's over there. There's going to be some more over here. And so if you want to pray with somebody about that, talk about something like that, they'd love to do that with you, okay? I want to pray for you, and then as our band leads, your job is to figure out how the Lord's going to call you to respond. What do you need to do? Let me pray for you. Father, um, we don't want to be people that just know the facts of what you did. We want to know you. We don't just want to know you. We want to, we want to live like you. We want to be changed by you. And so, Lord, in this passage, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that you're not, you're not deterred by the, the, the magnitude of my sin. That no matter what's going on, like, your steadfast love never fails. God, I'm also challenged by the fact that uh, I've got to draw near to people in the same way that you draw near to people. So, God, challenge us to be people who draw near. We get into the mess. We kneel down touch the hurting and the messy the broken because that's who we are God I want to I want to be a part of a mission a movement that sees disciples raised up in every corner of our city not just to follow you but to raise up other disciples God that's why we're here we want to see the kingdom progress we want to see People come to know and follow you and help other people come to know and follow you. 
So God, don't let us get enamored with the crowd. Keep the vision set in our hearts and our minds, your vision for how your kingdom is supposed to move forward. Not our plans, not our desires, not our preferences. We want to be about your work. God, keep us fixed on that. Father, I pray for my friends in the room who aren't believers, haven't trusted you as Savior. They're, they're here trying to figure this stuff out. I pray that the thing that they would leave with ringing in their ears is that you're for them, that your will for them is for good, that you're not here, that you didn't come to, to crush them or discipline, like you came to draw them close to yourself, to set them free, to restore them, give them a purpose and a hope that can't be taken away. I pray that you draw them to yourself. God, help us respond well. It's in your son's name I pray.